0: Hello and welcome to episode three of Brain Fart. Um Today we are continuing my pseudotumor saga and I'm going to get a little more in depth with my specific journey involving it. I'm going to give a little more information and get a little bit more specific. I've kind of, it's kind of been the main topic of this podcast thus far, even though I promised other content. But I think it's important to kind of lay out this groundwork before I start talking about the other things that stemmed from it and, I mean, that involving emotions as well as other illnesses. So I'm just going to break that down today. Um, And it all starts my freshman year of college, actually. I think. We think. The problem with pseudotumor or idiopathic intracranial hypertension or whatever you want to call it there's they decided they want to switch the names because pseudotumor kind of had weird negative connotations that were misleading cuz sometimes i tell people i have it and they they think i have a brain tumor and they say oh how big is it and i'm like well it's it doesn't exist it's just fluid it's not a mass but thank you so that's why they're kind of changing it to idiopathic inter- intracranial hypertension, which makes sense because idiopathic essentially means no one knows where it came from, and then intracranial is in your cranium, cranial <laughs> in your brain, uh, hypertension, which is fluid buildup. So it makes sense. That name makes a little bit more sense. Pseudotumor is a little, I think, more obvious, but <laughs> not to some people. So back on track. Where? What was I talking about? Oh, so the problem with IIH or PTC—those are acronyms I might be using—they, um, no one's quite sure why it happens. That's as much as my research has told me. It's kind of everyone's kind of happens for a different reason or comes from a different thing or occurrence, and. There's really no, nothing linking them. I think with mine, mine was a very specific occurrence that happened that like kind of started this snowball effect, while other people get it from this certain birth control that was out that uh, affected people, or sometimes it's seen in people who are labeled clinically obese. Um, There's really no no rhyme or reason and that's why it's such such a weird little bugger to get so for mine I've what I have like what I've come to the conclusion with and what my family has kind of decided I don't know if this is like our way of coping with me having it but we've kind of decided why we think I got it rather than just being lost in the dark um my, my freshman year of college, I was a part of a production and about two, two days before we opened, um, I had this roller skating moment and I fell and broke my butt. Yes, my butt. Or I guess <laughs> the more correct term would be coccyx. I broke my coccyx. Um, so <laughs> I that happened. And I continued the show. I did everything. I was fine. There's not really anything you can do about a fractured coccyx because it's your butt. You can't really cast it. You just do a little bit more standing and sitting on like these donut pillows. But then I never bought a donut pillow because I was too lazy. So I would just like wrap a scarf kind of in a donut shape and just sit on that instead. But that that happened and it just kind of was a bummer. Like I still, when a cold day a cold breeze blows in or a cold front comes around i i feel a little aching in my in my butt and i know that the weather is changing or if i sit on a hard like surface for too long my butt aches you know just all of those butt issues you have and that so that was that happened and that was over and i got better like it was better um and then the next year almost almost a year to the date, like probably a month off the date, um, the pseudotumor happened, and s- so keep the butt thing in mind, and so we're back at where I've kind of talked about this night, and the night that it happened, and guess what? I'm still not going to talk about it, because next week I'm actually going to bring in a friend of mine who is there with me, and she's going to give a probably more detailed account because she remembers it and I have no recollection. So she's going to come in and we're going to talk and we'll have a little powwow. Um, but so what happened? You, you, you guys kind of know what happened. Um, I was fired from the show. All that stuff happened in the first night in the hospital. Um, I was sent home like eight hours later. I went there. I couldn't remember my name. I couldn't, really think of anything I was just sobbing and you know what they thought it was they thought it was drugs they literally drug tested me for every drug imaginable and it came back clean because I'm a good girl and mainly I'm just a scared girl and I (laughs) haven't tried any of them and they worry me but I came back clean and they were like oh well maybe you're just hungry uh, eat this sandwich and go home. And I was like, you know what? Thank you for that medical advice. That's exactly what I'll do. So I went home and the next week I kind of was deteriorating, um, rapidly. I was, like I said, all of the symptoms, basically what I have in my episodes, but on, on steroids, like it was so bad to the point where I had a teacher, one of my acting teachers, She came into the bathroom and found me during class one time, and she was like, okay, I talked to my friends. I found a neurologist that she trusts. You're calling them right now. You're setting up up an appointment for whatever time. I'm driving you there, and we're fixing this. We're figuring it out. And I was like, okay. Um, I love it when other people do the work for me. (laughs) Uh, So I called, and they set up an appointment for the next day, which was a Wednesday, which was a week from the first really severe episode. And I went to the doctor and I just kind of told her I was like, "You know what? I don't want to be admitted to the hospital again. I had a horrible experience. <clears throat> so please just do what you can." And she was like, "Okay, we're going to try and do these tests. Like they wanted to do an EEG, which is basically they put a bunch of wires on your head to figure out if you're having seizures, um and ab- probably a bunch of other things. Basically to measure your like brain wave lengths and stuff. Um so she wanted to do that. She wanted me to have an MRI. She had all of these lists of tests she wanted to do. And she as the um as the interview as the interview progressed, no, as the appointment progressed, she realized that I couldn't be let go <laughs> that I needed to go to the hospital. So she admitted me. And that was the start of my like 5-day stay, 4-day stay, something like that. Um and so I was admitted, I <laughs> I was, I got an MRI. I have kind of a gross story and I'm debating whether I want to tell it, but I think I'm going to tell it because who cares? This is my podcast. Um, I was on my period when I was there and I was getting the MRI done. And, you know, you like sit in the big machine. If you don't, I mean, if you don't know what an MRI is, you can look it up for more specifics, but basically you go into a big tube and it just like, scans you and it's like a big it's a more formal x-ray um so I was in the machine for you have to be in there for a while you have to sit still so I was just sitting there and everything was fine um and then they moved me to like a like um a traveling gurney and then they brought me to the room and then my teacher she asked if I was on my period and I went yeah uh how did you know and she goes oh because you bled through both the MRI table and the travel gurney And they went, great. (laughs) Just icing on top of the cake. Um, Okay, but so back to the story. I'm in the hospital. Um, They basically, they're doing all these tests. No one knows what's wrong. The doctor that I initially saw, she up and left. She was like, girl, I want to see this through, but I'm going on vacation. So here's another doctor. And so the other doctor came in and this lady was not the greatest lady. She didn't really believe me or what was happening to me. She came in after about a night on the EEG and I was still having seizure like symptoms. And she basically was like, girl, we checked your EEG. You're not having seizures. So you're like faking it. Like we don't know what's coming from. And I started bawling I was sobbing because I was like how do you what what how do you fake a seizure like I don't know what is how what I was so shocked and then I started thinking and second guessing and I was like is this all in my mind am I making this all up like how could I do that how could I have that good of an imagination to want to be like why would I want to be sick okay getting worked up here um but so she said that, but then she did say that they saw like a cloudy, sh- like shadow or something on my optic nerves on the MRI. And that's when she brought up pseudotumor. And she mentioned it and she was like, we need to get, um, an ophthalmologist in here for your eyes to check your optic nerves to see if they're swelling. Cause that's a telltale sign. And then she also wanted a spinal tap. She wanted a lumbar puncture to see what, because a big thing they test is when they do the lumbar puncture, if there's a high pressure of fluid coming out, that means that the fluid is building on your spinal column. And so that is a sign or one of the indicators that you have pseudotumor. And so at this point in my hospital stay, my mom had flown out from Las Vegas. There, there was a moment where my aunt who lives in New Jersey came to visit me and she was, she called my mom and she was like, I think you need to, you need to be here. This is getting a little serious. And so my mom was there eventually. And I ended up getting the spinal tap. So they, they wheel you down to this room. You lie prone on the table in like, I mean, I don't know how, but kind of like like Jesus on the cross style, like your arms are splayed out and you're laying there. And, um, I had really nice nurses. The doctor came in, he did a little boop boop and put the needle and then the tube into my spinal column. And then I sat there and then they tilted the table and I was like, I was not strapped in. And I thought I was going to slide off that table. I'm sure they only had it tilted like a couple degrees, but to me it felt like a solid 60 degree tilt. Um, And I just waited there while my spinal fluid dripped out of my body and into a tube. Oh, and then the nurse after let me see it. He was like, look, it's clear that's healthy. And I was like, cool. Um, And it ended up being that my opening pressure was, it was higher than normal. It wasn't severely high, which is what they kind of look for, but it was higher. So they were like, okay. That's a tick in the yes box for pseudotumor, and then the next day the ophthalmologist came in and he dilated my eyes and he looked at my optic nerves and he was like, "Yep, yepper's, she's swollen," and so that kind of solidified that diagnosis. And I also have to mention that after I got the spinal tap, it felt like it—it it felt like a release of pressure. Like it felt, I felt better. And which freaked me out even more because I thought, how am I like, there was no way that this made me feel this much better that quickly. And I told my doctor that and she was like, well, that's another tick in the S yes box because that just goes to show that it was so uncomfortable with the pressure that when we drained it, you felt immediately better. And so I was diagnosed and they decided to put me on Topamax, which is actually like, it, it's more of a, anti-seizure medication um but it helps with like a diet like it helps become a diuretic and so I was on that for about I left the hospital I was back in school and I was seeing my neurologist like every week to every other week and I came in after the I think the first like two weeks of Topamax and I was having horrible reactions like God, I can't even remember. It was, I just remember needing to be off it. And I was saying that I wasn't feeling better. Like it started to come back. Like my symptoms started to come back. And I was also getting, oh, that's what it was. I was also puking like in the middle of the night, always. I would feel so sick in the middle of the night. And I was feeling really paranoid and all this stuff. And I was like, what's going on? And my doctor said, okay, let's just switch you. So they ended up switching me to a diuretic, um, which is basically just To help drain the fluid like it's literally a diuretic. It's what it sounds like Um, Called Diamox and I started I think pretty light on that probably like a hundred milligrams a day which wasn't awful, Um, but then my symptoms just kept coming back They just kept getting worse and worse. So we just kept upping the Diamox to 250 to 500 to one 250 a day and then one 500 a day to, um, two 500. So I was taking a thousand milligrams or a gram, um, of Diamox every day, just in different ways to take it and like long, like long release. So it would release over the course of a day and sometimes not. And so it was just trying to figure out this medication and it's going, and that was going on for months and months. And I was still, having my pseudotumor symptoms, but then I was also having symptoms from this medication. Like I would start losing feeling in my hands and my feet. And so I couldn't really dance anymore because I had no feeling in my extremities. And obviously I was peeing all the time. I mean, I already pee all the time, but when you're on a diuretic, it was constantly... And so it was just all of these symptoms and my eyesight was doing weird things and I was feeling weird things emotionally. Like, obviously I had just gone through kind of a traumatic experience as well as like a traumatic, I don't, I don't know, not traumatic diagnosis, but just something that's was not what I had expected in my lifetime to like be diagnosed with at 19. No one ever expects those things, but you are. And I was just still feeling like butthole, like just poop. And we were doing everything in the book, we being me and my parents, and I ended up finishing my sophomore year of school, and I went back to Vegas for the summer, and it was just the worst, worst. It was the worst it ever got, and I was basically living on my couch in my house because I didn't want to walk upstairs I didn't want to watch tv I didn't want to talk to anyone I didn't want to listen to music I didn't want to read because it was all too overwhelming for me I couldn't even paint I couldn't do any physical activity other than getting up walking to the bathroom peeing and then walking back to the couch I mean my mom would ask she was like do you want to watch tv do you want to watch movies and I was like Sure, put them on, and then I'd just fall asleep because it was too much for me. I couldn't even talk to my parents, really, because I couldn't think of things to say. I didn't know how to phrase things, and then I would just get frustrated, and I would take it out on them, and I would yell at them, and I'd say, how, could I, how can I live with this? How can I do this career if I can't even get off the couch? Like It was getting hostile and bad, and I have always had an incredible relationship with my parents. They have been my number one since day one. I've always been very close with them. We never went through a period where I became really angsty and like doing all this stuff. But this was like my angsty period. At the ripe age of 19 turning 20, I was like anxious and mean and lashing out at them, you know, packing all of my teenage years into this one summer. And of course, my parents are just horrified at what I had become. Because, and, they, and the thing is, they tried to understand as much as they could. They never took it out on me. They just let me say my piece and tried to help as best they could. We were seeing specialist after specialist. I was going to get acupuncture and I was getting like Reiki done and I was getting... Because I was still on my medication and that wasn't working. So we were like, what if we try this? And I was going to a chiropractor to see if he could help me because I was so... I wouldn't move, so I was basically just, like, crystallizing. Like, I couldn't move things anymore. And so we were going to all of these separate doctors. I mean, it was a different doctor every single day for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we just weren't figuring out what was going on. And we were going to my ophthalmologist, and my eyesight was getting worse. And it was like, oh, no, we're on a downward spiral, and we're not stopping. Until, until my dad had... um, a client come in he's he's a lawyer um had a client come in and she talked to him about this guy in Vegas who was a specialist in neuromuscular movement retraining and she basically she had gotten into a car accident and she had hurt her shoulder i believe i could be getting this wrong <laughs> but but essentially, she was very injured and she went to him and he helped train her body to basically heal itself. Like he worked with her and helped her and everything until she felt great again. And my dad and she said, maybe this would help your daughter because my dad had mentioned me. And we were skeptical. I was so skeptical about it at first because I was like, how nothing else is helping me. How is this guy supposed to help me? Oh, and not to mention that we had, I had just met with a neurosurgeon and we were a couple weeks away from deciding on surgery and deciding to put a shunt into my head. And so basically what a shunt is, sorry, I have to backtrack because this is very important. Um, A lot of, People with PTC or IIH have a shunt. It's basically this implant that goes into your brain. They like cut you open, cut open your skull and they plop it on your brain. And it basically is like, how do I describe this? It kind of measures the pressure in your head and there's a tube connected to it. And then the tube does like a little nice snaky train down your skull, down your neck, down your shoulders, all the way into your tummy, which it's all on the inside. It's all on the inside of you. Um, and so they put it so it goes into your stomach. And basically what it does is it measures the pressure in your head. And when it gets too high or like, it, like you have it on a setting that it drains the fluid from your brain, it, the, the device collects all the fluid and it drains into the tube into your stomach. And so that is basically what a shunt is. And there's different kinds and there's like more in-depth you could go with that and we are figuring out what would be the best one for me and I was really worried because I was like, will I be able to dance again? What happens if it doesn't work, I heard, I was reading all these horror stories about people having to go right back in after surgery to fix it or to adjust it, which is like people do and people deal with, like it wouldn't have been the end of the world if I got it. And most people with IIH and PTC get it. But so we kind of, that was the route we were taking. And I was talking about it with my neurosurgeon. And then, and then this is where that doc like that man came into play with my dad heard about him and so we were we were on the train to surgery town and my dad kind of wanted to get off at the next station <laughs> that was that was such a weird like analogy metaphor whatever um but so he basically wanted he didn't really want me to have brain surgery i mean it's a pretty pr- pretty straightforward procedure nothing too outrageous they've done it many times but of course my dad didn't want me to have brain surgery and neither did I um so we heard about this doctor and I was super skeptical because I was like how's how how's he gonna help me how is that gonna work and so I went in and I worked with this man for god like two to three hours a day every day to every other day for like five weeks where we would, I would go in and he would, um, basically just try and get my body back to optimal it's optimal place. So it's optimal healing position. And I know people are going to be like, that's hippy dippy. This sounds weird, whatever. But honestly it worked for me and that's all that matters. And so it took a while. I'm not going to lie. It took a while and it took hard work. And this is where my broken butt comes into play. Cause this is the conclusion that we came to when I broke my coccyx, we have this theory that it kind of like solidified, like it kind of healed itself in a way that to protect it, it became very static and it wasn't moving a lot. And so it kind of stopped production on everything to protect itself. So when your your spinal fluid, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, moves up and down your spine. And so when it was getting to my coccyx and my sacral area, my sacrum, it kind of was hitting this bad patch and it wasn't able to go back up or come back down as easily as possible. And on one of my brain scans, I have like one of my ventricle systems in my brain is slightly narrow, not significantly to the point where you'd be like, yep, that's the cause, but like so much so that I feel if I had something else going on, it would be significant enough to cause a problem. And so that is the theory we came to because no one else had any other theories. They didn't know where it came from. So we are just writing my own story. So (laughs) that's what we think it is. And that's what I believe it is because after doing this training, it helped. Like I was doing so much work and it was so physically and mentally exhausting because sometimes for the first probably week five, five or six sessions, I would go and it would help relieve the pressure and the pain a little bit. And then it would come back on immediately when I left. And as I kept going, it would become a little bit longer to where it would, where the pain and the pressure wasn't building up. And we were working and he was massaging out my tight muscles. And then we were working my weak muscles just so my body could get to its basic healing mode again. I'm not It's hard to describe this because it's a very unique process that I had never heard of up until this point. And honestly, if I heard about it, I don't think I would have believed it. And I'm sure a lot of you are confused and don't really know what it is. And I have to say, if I didn't experience its help firsthand, I would have continued to be skeptical. But after probably the second or third week It started reversing to where I was feeling better most of the time, and there would only be a couple occasions where I had pressure or had things, and so it was was amazing because I felt like I was becoming myself again, and I could talk more, and I could talk longer, and I could go outside longer and not be completely exhausted. And I was basically healing myself that way. And then, of course, I was like, okay, I got to eat healthy. <laughs> like, got to help the body in any way I can. And I mean, I think your health really affects you because it's your body. I don't think it's an end-all, be-all to curing. But I think that it, if you can help your body in any way you can, you should. And so I was getting better, which was felt crazy because it was such a different method to go about. And I'm not saying this method will cure all people with IAH or PTC or anything, but I think because of my unique situation and I think what might've caused it, it really helps for me. And I think that's the way you have to deal with this disease. You have to see what works best for you because I went back to my neurosurgeon after and he saw how much better I was doing. And he was shocked. And he said, did you up your medicine? What did you do? And we told him about it. And he was like, great. That's incredible. Like if something is working for you, that is what we need. I don't want to go in and give you brain surgery. I don't want to do that because you're young and lots of people, lots of young people deal with traumatic surgeries and a lot of things that are hard on your body and of course they live and survive and thrive like it's not like it would have killed me or been the end-all be-all for me but he just was very much in the mindset of let's do whatever we can to help you before we do the surgery and so he loved it he loved that it was working for me he said as long as it's working for you keep at it and we'll continue to check. We'll continue to do checks. You'll have to go to your ophthalmologist to make sure things aren't getting worse, all of that stuff. And so we did. And it this allowed me to go back to school. I was because there was a time where I was like, there's no way I can go back and go to school. How can i how can I possibly go to school and such a demanding major and two minors and not be able to get out of off the couch? Like that, it would have been impossible. I can't even talk to people, let alone be around people. And so I, after this, I was able to go back to school and I was in a show and I got to do the show and I was physical in the show. I was dancing in the show. It was incredible. Um, And I just continued with like the exercises he gave me and all of kind of my other things to help. And... I would go visit him during like when I would go back for winter break, he would be there or uh, going back for summer break. It was always like he would see me with no extra charge. He would just see me and want to help me and fix me in whatever way he could. And he always was there. I could always call him and ask advice or thing if something was happening. He was always there and I was still seeing my neurologist and everything was still looking fine. So we were all just kind of like, okay, we're going to leave it and hope it's good. And I was going to my ophthalmologist and my eyesight still is a little up and down. I'm not going to lie. Like it, it's, that's still the one I'm trying to figure out the most, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm completely healed because I'm obviously not like I still have episodes and sometimes they're worse than others. And I, I'm just lucky that I found something that works for me, like it, it, I do well with it and so I'm gonna stick with it as long as I can before I have to go on more diuretics or do something else because it works for me. And so that's kind of, it's not, the thing is there's no end to the pseudotumor story. It's just, it just continues and you just hope there's a little like (laughs) relapse reprieve until like the next big funny story comes out of it. Not funny, but like later, later on it's funny. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to break that down, break down kind of the medication I was taking um, for the pseudotumor, kind of what helped me get back to a productive state for me, like a more productive state for me. I just repeated what I said, but I said it with a different connotation or in it, in intonation. That's what I was looking for. I said it with a different intonation, so it was different. Um, so yeah, that's the story I wanted to tell. I think next week will be interesting because you thought this was more detailed. Next week, it's going to get even more detailed. Um, when my friend Sarah comes in, she is someone I attend school with, we've been close since freshman year. She's one of my best friends. Um, She was there. I had lots of friends who were there with me, but she kind of was the main one because she was the first one they called when it first happened. So she went to the hospital with me. She was there the second time. Um, So she's seen really firsthand how it's affected me. And so I kind of want to bring her in to give you guys more details and more insight about that. And I think that's all I wanted to say. Oh, I. Dang it. I wanted to tell you I named my pseudotumor. Her name's Sandra with a P. P S A N D R A. I'm sorry if anyone out there listening is named Sandra, but we call her Sandra T for a uh, pseudotumor. And yeah. So sh- we, we coexist, <laughs> we live together, and I like it when she's a quiet roommate and not a rowdy party girl. So there you have it. Next week we have Sarah, and then the week after that I am finally going to dive in to Lyme, Epstein-Barr virus, Wormy Town and, uh, what else do I have? Oh, hypothyroidism. <laughs> so I'll go more in depth with that. That week, I'm not going to do, um, hormonal female stuff because I'm going to save that for another, another week and I'm getting ahead of myself yet again. So that's what you have. F- that's what have forward look to. Nope. Okay. Let's rephrase. That's what you have to look forward to. There we go. All right, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you got some information. Of course, if you have any questions, feel free. Most of you are my friends, so feel free to just text me. If not, um, please reach out. I have an email for Brain Fart now. It's brainfartpodcast at gmail.com. So if you have any questions or tips or corrections, because you know your girl isn't a doctor, um, email them in. And I will try to answer them, or I'll email you back, or I'll talk about it on the episode. Um, So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Okay, have a good whatever time it is. (laughs) Okay, bye.